All right, everyone, welcome back to the Second Shot All-American Golf Podcast. I am Tom, as always, here with my co-host, Phil. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Tom. Not liking the snow, but I'm inside and warm. That's all that matters. And maybe things are getting back to normal. Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were obviously the better team. They were the better team. Anyways, um, we'd like to welcome any new listeners that may be listening to this episode. If you are here to listen to our interview with our guest, Todd Johnson, today, um, there is a timestamp in the description below. If you want to skip right to it and not listen to us, you know, talk for five minutes, whatever it is here. Go ahead. We're just happy you're here to listen, and uh, we look forward to you hearing the interview today. Todd gives a lot of really really nice information it was a it was a fun interview very smooth and it, it's always nice to have somebody who cares about the game as much as he does on the podcast and uh, as knowledgeable as he is as well we've been very fortunate in that department yeah and uh, everything and you'll hear more about it but everything that todd and his team does for the gcga and what they do for the game here in the city um, he was an absolutely perfect guest and you know we're happy to be in a city where we have him you know, heading up a golf association that does great things for us. And it also brings up the fact that Tom and I were too old for the junior tour when they started it. So <laughs> right. I had, that was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, I am. I am beyond jealous of that tour. Um, little cleanup here. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, you may have noticed uh, that Devin, um, our gambling guy, uh, did not have a segment. Um, we're not necessarily getting rid of the gambling segment. We do potentially want to, you know, maybe bring it to our socials um, so people can still look at it. If you w were following anything Devin was saying, he was actually in the positive. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, he provided some good insight and actually some good bets. But we do want to keep the podcast, you know, a little bit more focused, at least just the, the audio podcast itself, um, more focused on, on golf in the Cincinnati area. I mean, that is the the main idea of the podcast. So that that's what we're trying to do. So we're going to try to limit all the extra, extra talk that's outside of, um, you know, just golf here in the city. Yeah. It's always nice to highlight successful Mount grads, especially Mount <laughs> golfer grads. but well, he, he will make a return. And when that time comes, he will be chock full of wonderful information for us. Plus he's still trying to overcome the Browns loss. So you know how Cleveland fans are. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, everyone, for being here for our uh, podcast today. And uh, now on to our interview with Mr. Todd Johnson. All right, everyone, please welcome our next guest. He is the executive director of the GCGA, Mr. Todd Johnson. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Guys, thanks for having me on. 
No problem. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day. If you could just get started with just maybe a brief background about maybe how you got into golf and uh, what led you into the position that you're in, you know, now with the GCGA. Sure. Yeah. Um, I just finished 18 years with the Golf Association. Um, my dad was uh, an avid golfer. I didn't really take up the game much until I was 13. Uh, played on my high school golf team over at Fairfield High School for four years. Um, went on to Coastal Carolina uh, to earn a, a bachelor's in uh, marketing and management and came back and, and took a job at GE. Uh, just started playing in amateur events and um, unfortunately lost my position at GE during 9-11. And um, Tay Baker, who was the executive director of the Golf Association at that time, um, asked me if I was interested in a Boatwright internship. Uh, so the USGA funds a program called the PJ Boatwright Junior Internship, and um, it's offered at every golf association in the country. And so I was fortunate enough to uh, to be offered that position, and I took that for for 11 months. And then uh, when that tenure came to an end, they offered me a, a full time position to be the tournament director. And I did that for 11 years until I took over as the executive director uh, seven years ago. That's quite an interesting journey into the position you have. That, that's, that's yeah, it was, a, it was a process, um, but you know, it was it was fun. Um, I love it. I get to spend all my days at uh, at the golf course um, with uh, what I consider a bunch of my friends uh, throughout the summer. So um, it's definitely better than uh, being stuck in an office all day. Kind of like how you feel in the winter, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you give us a little overview of what the GCGA does for local golf and for the big picture? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we offer a few different things. We've got uh, volunteer opportunities. Um, within that, we we kind of branch off with education. We've got some volunteers that are really passionate about uh, the rules of golf. And so they, uh, they lead study groups and they do um, our uh, – seminars at the clubs at their request. So some years we have just a handful and other years we may do a couple dozen of them. Just depends on what the clubs are looking for or high school teams or collegiate programs. Um, with COVID now, I don't expect that we'll have many this year. We'll probably just do two or three virtually. We've been doing our classes every Tuesday um, that any anybody um, anywhere in the country uh, can log into. It's on our website, gcga.org. They can click the link and sit through those sessions. Um, those will be coming to an end though at the end of February. Um, we also have uh, course rating teams. Uh, those are volunteers along with staff that go out and rate the golf courses uh, that give the, uh, give the clubs the, for each tee that they have uh, a rating and slope. Um, tournaments, uh, obviously we, we use our volunteers to, uh, to help with uh, officiating and spotting and forecaddying, uh, starting. Uh, scoring at all the events that we run. Um, so those are kind of the volunteer opportunities that we that we have. Um, the tournaments that we have, most of them are competitive. Uh, they're city championships uh, for mainly uh, adults, um, but we also have we have women's, uh, seniors, men's, juniors. Um, we've got a 1905 junior tour, which is geared towards 18 and under. Um, we'll do about 30 to 35 days of events. And then we've got some non-competitive uh, play days that we offer to members of the GCGA. Uh, those are golfers that have an active 
handicap ID. Um, it gives them the availability to play a variety of golf courses around uh, the Cincinnati area, mostly private on days that those clubs don't have outings and things of that nature. Um, other than that, um, you know, we provide software assistance. So the tournament management software that's at all the clubs, we help them whenever they're in need uh, for their events, uh, mostly member guests, uh, club championships, things of that nature. So you touched on a little bit there, the um, schedule that you guys have more for like the, the adult schedule, not the juniors. We'll get to the junior tour later, but could you walk us through maybe how you guys decide what tournaments are hosted at which courses? Is, I mean, unless it's like a secret, you'll have to tell us. But uh. No, no. There's, <laughs> uh, there's no secret formula to it. Um, we used to schedule, we used to schedule the, the events out. Um, we, we don't do that as much now just because of all the construction and renovation and improvements that clubs are doing these days. Uh, it just, it's thrown such a kink into things. It's hard to get a schedule that's, that's too far out. But um, we're, we're pretty lucky. Our USGA schedule is, is set for the most part year after year after year. We go to the same clubs. Uh, there's some variation this year just because uh, uh, Coldstream is still going through their renovation. So we had to move our USAM qualifier. Um, so those, those are kind of set every year. Um, our city events, then we just kind of fill in. Um, we know those clubs uh, that are hosting the USGA qualifiers aren't going to have the availability to host two, three, four events for us. So then we just start looking around and seeing what we have available and, um, you know, which clubs may be interested. We visit every one of our clubs annually. So we'll start going out and driving around uh, early March, and that'll take about three weeks. And we kind of plant the seed then for the following year. And as we go out for tournaments this year, um, we'll, we'll ask them, hey, are you guys interested in something next year? If so, is there a certain demographic that you're looking for? And some of them will come back and say, hey, you know, we're interested in doing a senior event or a mid-am event or a junior event. And then that kind of fills some gaps. And then, and then we go through and see which clubs we haven't talked to and, and how long it's been since we visited them and what events would work well. Um, at those type of golf courses. I mean, we've got some that aren't easy to walk and therefore, you know, we probably never want to do a junior event at a course like that um, because the rounds of golf would just take forever and, um, you know, getting parents and spectators around would be challenging. As, a, as someone who played Essendon's Golf Club in college, I know there's some places that are not made for walking, you would say. <laughs> right. Right. You hear that coach Sparhawk? <laughs> <laughs> but um are there any maybe uh places this year for any of the tournaments that maybe kind of stick out as maybe a course where you guys haven't had an event at in a while or you know just a course that you guys are excited to maybe host one at? Absolutely. Our our city uh championship, our Metropolitan Amateur Championship this year is is uh, qualifying rounds are going to be at Heritage in Cincinnati with the match play taking place at Cincinnati Country Club. Now they've been they've been a great host to us for our junior tour and getting that off the ground um, during our tour championship uh, pretty much every year since we started it in 2010. Um, but this will be the first time that the city championship has been there since 1981, I believe, in 1980. So 40 40 years since we visited Cincinnati Country Club for our for our biggest championship. We uh, Phil and I actually both worked there back in. I worked there for three years um, back in like 2011, 
2011, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And Phil worked me for with uh, for a summer there. Uh, Joe Zincini, I believe, I, I, if I pronounce that correctly, Joe, don't get mad at me if you're listening. Um, he was the prof- head professional there when we were there. I believe he's the general manager now. Um, he is. But they host they host really great events there. Their staff does a great job. Joe Joe's awesome to work with. Um, you know, I, I first met Joe when he came to town and was working at Heritage Club, and he was great there. And and we were happy to have him back uh, when he came to Cincinnati Country Club. Absolutely. So, Todd, can you tell us a little bit about what some of your favorite courses are in the area, um, and then what some of the courses offer visually that just stand out to you, maybe? Well, I'm sure my favorites are probably what most most others are in town. You know, I, I enjoy uh, Camargo uh, just for the seclusion of it. Uh, you know, not many houses around the golf course. It's it's just a nice walk. Um, I enjoy Coldstream and High Park and Cincinnati Country Club and TPC and Kenwood and and I think, uh, you know, as, as Kenwood and Coldstream go through and finalize their renovations, Kenwood's back open now. I think people will see some dramatic changes at those at those clubs with the trees that have come out and uh, the bunkering. I think it looks great. I think being able to see through the golf course and and I think their availability to uh, change with the times is uh, is important um, and, and, to you know, provide something that the membership is is looking to play every day. Um, so we're excited to get back to those courses here in the coming in the coming years and really showcase those facilities. Um, but those are, you know, I'm sure those those are everybody's quick hits around town. Um, you know, they're the hardest to get on in, in the area. Um, so that 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 adds some intrigue to to playing those golf courses. But you know, their maintenance staffs do a great job, and the courses are always maintained well, and the staff is always very welcoming. So it's uh, you know it's the whole experience that you get. And, and can you walk us through maybe what be like, what qualifies as a course as becoming like a member of the GCGA? I know I was looking at some of the list, and there's some of these golf courses. I know, like I think it's like Maysville Country Club. Like there's some courses that are pretty far out there. Um, what is the criteria for that? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. Um, our only criteria is that they just have to be on our gin system. Um, they just have to offer the handicap IDs to their membership and uh, that's it. There's no, no other fee. We don't charge any club fees. Um, we view, we view the handicap system as the membership to the association. Uh, the USGA has created some boundaries for us as associations in the last couple of years. So Maysville is technically outside of our, of our, one of our counties or our counties in Northern Kentucky. Um, but they were part of the association before that went into place. So they were grandfathered, grandfathered into our association. Uh, so there are, uh, there are some overlapped clubs uh, or areas within Ohio and, and Kentucky. Um, and we're unique because we go through three states and we've got about 90 facilities that are part of the, uh, part of the association. Um, so we try to utilize as many of them as, as we can, as you mentioned, some of them are, Kind of far away, um, but you know we've we've done events at Maysville, and um, we enjoy having them as part of the association and giving people the opportunity to get to a different part of the area that they might not otherwise have a reason to visit. 
Yeah, we uh we actually talked to the superintendent at Snow Hill. Another great course. I'm not sure if they fall under you guys or Miami Valley or Columbia. They're like in the middle of all three. They're with us. They're with us. Okay. So yeah, yeah I mean, like we just talked to the superintendent there and uh, talked about another golf course that's out there, but it's just a great golf course to play. That is a really really fun golf course. We've done a couple of invitationals that we did with the Southern Ohio section, and it's just a, a fun risk reward golf course that uh you know if somebody's playing really well they can get it they can get it going but you know i think it's also one of those golf courses that you kind of take for granted you see the yardage and you're like oh not so challenging i should be able to shoot under par here and then you get down you know you're over par through six holes and you're like man what's going on here but they do a great job course is always in great shape and we enjoy going out there uh, for the events that we've had uh, most recently we've done some junior events out there you know, I, I've been lucky to play that course growing up because that's in my neck of the woods, but there's such a variety of tee shots and it's so irritating some days when you can't even keep the ball in the same zip code. I think the fourth hole out there may be one of the most interesting holes um, that we have in, in all of Southern Ohio. Totally agree. You know, I, I figured that out, Todd. It's You aim right at the tree and you're going to miss it left or right and then you just go from there. <laughs> So do do you get to play much these days, Todd? And um, how how does your playing the course influence your opinion about if it's able to host a tournament or not? Oh, well, I, I think um, the first part of that, I go in spurts. Um, when we get into our tournament season, it's, it's kind of hard to play. We've got a, a tough stretch through middle of June to the middle of July with USGA qualifiers and uh, our women's city championship and our men's city championship. And then uh, I try to make it out to the Prasco event that's out at TPC and, and things like that. But uh, I go in spurts. I try to get out in the evenings with my kids and encourage them. They, they're active. They play in almost every event that, that we have. And, and um, so I, I, I like, I like having that time with them in the evening. Um, I don't play much competitive golf anymore. I sign up every once in a while for a random mid-am qualifier or U.S. amateur or four-ball qualifier. Um, I kind of use that as some market research for us. So that way I can see what other associations are doing, how they're running their qualifiers, how the volunteers are interacting with uh, the players and you know what they're providing at those qualifiers that maybe we're not or that we can improve, improve upon. Um, as far as um, what was the second part of the question, the uh, the the tournament part, um, you know, I don't. My playing uh, the golf courses in town, I, we we want to use all the facilities that we have, and we know they're all unique. And you know, we can't leave or we don't leave our territory when we have events. So we look and see what we have and where we can go with certain things. Um, you know, obviously, we've got some nine-hole facilities uh, that if they had a back nine, it would be great to do some bigger tournaments. So we just take, we'll just take a smaller, a smaller field tournament to that that course. Or if it's an executive course, it may be a junior event for our little kids. But we try to make it make it work for our schedule. Uh, the main thing for us is we're trying to grow our membership and get more people engaged in the game of golf. And with that, you know, we want we want to help showcase all the facilities off yeah, that are a member of the association because you know you never know where your next member or daily fee customer is going to come from. 
And I'm a big believer in that. I think, you know, most of the clubs have, have bought into that with me. And, um, you know, it's, it's worked well for us. Knock on wood, we haven't had any issues with scheduling the amount of tournaments that we have and the amount of days um, that we have on the calendar is, is in some cases over and above what a lot of state organizations do. And then once you factor in with the collegiate events that we help in, we're over, we're over a hundred days of tournaments throughout the season. And of course you can see outside with the snow, we're condensed into five, six months. So that hundred days goes, goes by pretty quickly. So you touched on the amount of events you guys have there. What does your staff look like in terms of like how many like volunteers or like normal staff that you guys have? Cause I mean, I can imagine running that many events. I mean, I know you can't do it all yourself. So what does, what does your team look like? Uh, I've got a great team. I'm very lucky. I've got uh, Teresa Silver. She's our member services director. She's been with the association uh, going on 25 years. Um, she handles all the course ratings. She handles all the handicap questions, all the training for the clubs. Um, Kevin has been on board. Kevin Stanton came over from the SOPGA four years ago. He's our tournament director, so he's in charge of overseeing our junior operation and our tournament schedule, including the USGA qualifiers. Um, we also have three boat ride interns that we hire uh, annually. Typically, we've done two. Um, one that would have been about six months and six, seven months, and a second one that would have been three, four months. Um, we've since broken that up into three four-month internships um, because we found that most of the applicants, if not all of them, were college-age kids that couldn't do anything more than three or four months anyway. Um, but we give them the responsibility to not only help with the qualifiers and our city championships, but they're primarily running our junior tour. So we're trying to give them real-world experience in golf administration, let them answer the phone calls, let them answer the emails, learn the, the uh, tournament software, and you know, deal with situations that they're going to eventually deal with when they're out of school. Uh, so we give them a big responsibility um, uh, because, you know, obviously their work ethic and reflects on the association and us. We've got about 50 volunteers, I'd say. Some of those volunteer once a year. Some of them volunteer as many as they can. Uh, we've got some we've got a core group of about a dozen officials um, that work there. They work tirelessly. They show up at maybe more events than I end up getting to throughout the year. It's amazing on how much they help us. Um, but they're doing rules and they do uh, the forecadding at the events. And then we have our interns or staff now to just do the startings because it's a great way to interact with all the customers at the first tee. I've got kind okay. of a snarky question for you. So you can leave a, whatever answer you want. But if Patrick Reed volunteers as a rules official for you, are you going to let him do it? Well, let's 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 maybe give the PC answer there. We have all of our rules officials go through uh, training sessions, and um, they take the USGA PGA class after they go through our training sessions, and they come back with a uh, with a test score. And um, we've got a lot of people that are interested in jumping right into things, but we start them off at the junior tour level. That way they're comfortable in, in making decisions that won't affect somebody that's qualifying for a championship or trying to win a city championship. Thank you, Todd, for that answer. I apologize for, for <laughs> Phil Scott out there. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, could you maybe talk about, um, you know, what the junior tour and everything about? I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but it was something <clears throat> that when Phil and I were, you know, around, and we graduated from high school in 2010. I think you said right around that time that that started. I am beyond jealous of what it what it is and what it's grown to. Can you can you talk about you know maybe the start of it and how it grew and, and what it looks like now? Yeah, absolutely. So we were we were asked to run a junior tour for another organization, and we did it for one year, and it wasn't uh, the greatest experience. So we took a step back and said, why why partner with somebody when we can just we can run our own tour and then really do what we want to do with it. That's kind of how it started. We threw it together with six events in 2010 just to see if there was going to be any desire. Um, I didn't want to schedule, you know, 20, 30 days of tournaments and then, you know, have to cancel half of them. So we just put a small schedule out there just to see if there was any interest. And we had about 150 kids that that joined and and, uh, we were averaging about 60 per event. Um, Since then, we've grown to over 500 junior tour members, uh, ages seven to, to 18, um, both boys and girls. Uh, the little kids from seven to 12 play nine holes. The 13 to 18 year olds play 18. And, um, you know, it's a great way for us to grow the game, provide competition, also educate while they're there. So our officials are very patient, but they walk the kids through the rules as they, as they encounter them. It's a great way for the kids to meet other kids and get comfortable with playing with different different kids of different skill levels um, around town at, at a variety of golf courses. And I, I, you know, I like to think that we're helping the clubs fill some potential dead spots in their in their uh, tee sheets um, when we come out because we'll we'll ask them, hey, what's your slow day? And we'll book that, and we'll bring now probably a hundred kids per event that we're that we're bringing. And um, who knows what that's going to look like going forward. Hopefully, hopefully we'll continue to, uh, to have many more kids join and over-prescribe the events. But, you know, it's been, it's been good for us. We've got more kids on the handicap system. I think more people know who the GCGA is. We're providing a service back to the membership, and we're providing an opportunity to the clubs um, to fill some spots and provide some revenue. So on top of what we pay them, um, which in most cases is probably more than what their daily fee junior rate is. They're also selling carts on top of that. So with that, they're actually, they're bringing in as much as they would get for an adult greens fee, if not more. I wish people I wish saw that side of it as high school matches too, because that brings people out as well. Um, what's a, in your opinion, what is a key to getting youth involved in golf during this time i mean what makes it fun for them what draws them near and what do you have to do as a director to make it marketable well one of the things one of the things that we've done we've we partnered with the first tee so as those kids learn life skills we're trying to also get them to incorporate more competition golf into that and i think as the kids go through the program and as they get older you know, we'll start seeing some more traction with that program and those kids coming over to play. We also have provided uh, snag golf kits to a handful of pros around town, encouraging them to visit schools, um, primarily to help 
promote junior golf um, to kids that might not otherwise have an opportunity to get to the golf course, but to hopefully for those those uh, professionals to drum up a lesson business on the side and bring back people to their facilities. Um, Sarah Stevens is very active, as well as uh, Matt Starr over at Meadow Lakes. Um, they're, they've been very diligent about going and visiting schools, and I try to go when I can. Um, I've gone with Sarah a handful of times, and I'll put the bodysuit on and let the kids hit balls at me. But, you know, I think that that portion of it, we're just trying to get the hand-eye coordination down and show kids what the golf movement is like. Um, a lot of these kids have never been exposed to the game. So instead of expecting them to get a ride to the golf course or, or pay some sort of fee for a lesson, now we're bringing that to their school. And hope the hope is, is that we'll eventually get to all the schools and every school in Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and Southeastern Indiana will have a snag golf kit in, in their gym. And the gym teachers will be able to do it. Um, First Tee is, is one of the organizations that will actually train those gym teachers on how to utilize it. And then the hope is we'll see a pipeline there of kids learning the game that want to come up and play and, and then hopefully create that next generation of golfers for our member clubs. That's awesome. I didn't. I didn't realize you guys went to all these schools. That, that that's pretty neat. We're trying. We, we're not. You know, <laughs> we're not in them all, but we're we're actively trying. And right. COVID didn't help. Um, sure. In these last eighteen months, but hopefully we'll get back to some sort of normal. You know, maybe in the fall of twenty one. Right. Speaking of uh, COVID, I did want to ask. 2020 obviously was there was a lot of unknown i'm sure in march and april with your organization and the events and all that stuff what did that look like for you guys in terms of you know planning for the events um and you know did you guys have to and you know have any protocols like you know what did that look like when you guys started those events back up during the 2020 season yeah so it was uh, that was interesting i think you know it was it was uh, a blessing in disguise i think for us uh, the clubs you know we're one of those silent partners i think um uh, in the club's mind, you know, they don't need us until they need us, right? And so they've never needed us like that before. And along with our other partners in the state, not only here in Ohio, but in Indiana and, and Kentucky, you know, we spent a lot of time talking to the governor's offices and the health departments and what we thought was going to be pretty easy as far as one uh, ultimatum or direction. It turned out that every county took kind of a different direction. And that made it challenging. Um, so we were, when that hit, uh, we were kind of in, in limbo, you know, we just phone calls every morning trying to get some clarification on, on what was considered essential. And, and, you know, we just advocated that golf was not only for mental health, but physical well-being. And fortunately they, they saw it that way and, and, um, and decided that golf was essential. Um, for us, the calendar didn't change much. We we typically don't get into the meat of our schedule until June. So we had to reschedule the, the junior events that were in April and May, and we rescheduled one um, city championship, our four ball, uh, which was rescheduled for August. Um, and that was it. Uh, you know, what we realized going forward is that, you know, maybe we don't need to have a paper schedule that's posted at all the clubs because something like this hits and it's, it's obsolete as soon as it's printed. So we're going to take a slightly different direction this year and just kind of distribute those electronically to our membership and then to the clubs and, 
and ask the clubs to distribute it to their databases on our behalf. And hopefully, hopefully all the clubs will do that. But we were fortunate. We had a great year last year. We had an uptick in, in um, gin uh, membership. Um, our tournament registration was was out the roof. Um, we got to use some facilities that we um, might otherwise not get to use because they didn't have uh, an opportunity to sell their Mondays or outings. So it was it was unique, but you know I think um, our board and staff adapted, and you know we found a way to make it work. Our protocols at the events were pretty simple. We just didn't print anything. Um, our scoring system is electronic uh, through an app. So we gave everybody a code on the first tee. Everything that we had normally had printed out, a notice to competitors, a whole location sheet, um, any information about the event was emailed out the night before to competitors. So that way they either had it on their email on their phone or they, they were responsible for making copies of it. So when you come to the first tee or last year and, and even going forward this year, we're planning on the same protocols just to be safe. Um, we didn't have a starter's box. We didn't have we didn't have pencils. We didn't have tees, ball markers, just the basic things that you're used to. We had a bottle of hand sanitizer and we made sure, you know, that everybody was wearing their mask and um, kept their, kept the appropriate distance. So that way um, nobody could come back and say they felt unsafe with anything that we were providing. We wanted everybody to know that if they were coming to one of our events, that we were, we were taking it seriously and, we were doing everything within our power to keep everybody as safe as we could. So we even provided masks to the players if they didn't have it so they could go inside and use the restroom because a lot of kids would forget things. And, you know, if they can't go in the building, you know, what are, you, where, what are they supposed to do? So we, we tried to think of everything that we could to offset any issues that we could potentially see happening. Technology has been a, a beautiful thing, and I'm sure it's kind of made your life a little bit easier in the grand scheme of things. It's been great. I think uh, we, we really don't see a, a need to go back to anything paper, uh, which saves us a bunch on on uh, office supplies and printing costs. Sure. What do you? What's your take on the pros being able to use rangefinders? mean at a, at a tour event if they were going to use rangefinders or yeah, so, they should yeah so if they're do you like that they're going to be able to use it in pga of america events and do you think that's a step in the right direction or are you kind of a traditionalist and like it the, the older way i think i think it's just a, a sign of the times i think it's just inevitable it's technology that's there i mean i, I think the pga is going to support support that because their pros are selling them in their shops right and, uh, you know, when, when we eventually made that switch, however many years ago, that was one of the things that we discussed is why would we prohibit this when these clubs are bringing these in as, as inventory and they're trying to they're trying to sell them? Um, you know, it's the same. I think you have to just sit back and take a look and say, OK, is this is this hurting anything? Yeah, there's it's taken away from what the tradition was. But, you know, there's nothing to say that it can't be part of a new tradition. Um, you know, we, we had a long standing tradition that our, our uh, Metropolitan Championship didn't have carts. And, you know, we, we were kind of steadfast that, hey, this is a walking event. And um, two years ago, we sat down and thought, okay, well, if the club can bring in more revenue from cart rental and it helps us with an evacuation plan if we have weather, 
um, or we have to restart or whatever that looks like. Why wouldn't we do that? And if we can bring more people out to the golf course, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I agree. Um, well, Todd, the weather isn't great right now. And I've noticed that, uh, during the winter, you guys have started to host some like indoor simulator events. I believe you guys partnered with, I think it's swing fit golf. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that decision and, and, you know, about those events? Yeah. So, uh, two, three months ago, you know, we we're always looking for new things, new events, uh, new ideas to, to garner new members, things like that. And, um, you know, this time of year, we're not taking away from any of our facilities, our green grass facilities, because they're obviously no, no place to go play with the snow on the ground. So, um, you know, got with, uh, got with the crew over at swing fit and said, uh, you know, Hey, would you guys be interested in, in hosting something like this? And they said, yeah, we'd love to try it. And so we threw, we threw four, uh, junior events out and, um, the first, first couple got some pretty good traction. And um, so we ultimately put eight on the calendar and we'll see where it goes from there. I, I don't know if it's going to be an annual thing. I would, I would like it to be. Um, we've talked about trying to uh, incorporate facilities that have other simulators around town. So that way um, kids and parents wouldn't have to drive to, you know, a central location, even though if swing fit is central, you know, somebody may still be in, in Northern Kentucky um, so if we were to get, let's say, Triple Crown because they have a simulator or Boone Links, they have two two new simulators at their facility. Um, if we could get the, get those kids there, maybe we'll get even more. Um, I think the key is is just making sure that the rounds are set up the same way at the same golf courses. Um, so we haven't we haven't jumped that far into it yet, but it's been it's been good. And you know, as with anything, it, I'm sure you know it'll start off slow and. Then hopefully get some traction and and we'll figure out a formula that works. You know, maybe it's not eight events, maybe it's six events, maybe there's a team event in there. Um, but I think uh, the feedback that we've gotten from the families that have participated is they love that. You know, we're trying to get trying to get uh, kids active in non-golf months, <clears throat> and that's really the key. I mean, most of these sports now engage kids twelve months a year, and golf in Ohio isn't one of those because of our limitation with with uh, the weather. And one of my last questions here, what do you feel like, you know, for the GCGA year in, year out, what do you feel like maybe are some of your guys' like biggest challenges that you guys face? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I like to think that, uh, you know, we've got a pretty well-oiled machine here. I mean, we've been around for 116 years. We've got a great relationship with, the general managers, the professional staff, the superintendents and their crews all around town. Um, you know, every year I think scheduling maybe become an issue because we've got so many events on the calendar. But, you know, as I said before, we've got a lot of, well, a lot of clubs that want to do something every year. Um, we got clubs that call us and ask for certain events. Um, so it kind of every year it kind of fills itself. You know, I think our biggest obstacle is is just finding new gym members and trying to engage golfers to buy into the handicap system. Um, because if they don't play in tournaments and they've and they play in just a, a weekly league um, and they're not, uh, they don't know anything about us, it's hard to get somebody to say, "Oh, do I really need this or not?" So that's the biggest obstacle. So we're uh, we're trying to spend more time out, especially at the public facilities, talking to league golfers, 
and get them introduced to at least the association and let them know that we're here and um, you know the services that we provide and and hopefully hopefully through that you know it, that grassroots effort will will start seeing more members um, you know and with COVID hopefully th this will continue to grow it's one of the few sports that has prospered um, during the pandemic. In the handicap system, it did change recently to the world handicap system, correct? Is that right? Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, the big thing for the USGA and the RNA was to get, to get everybody in the world on the same computation system. So that's what they've been working on. And so that's just, that's just in the last couple of years. And so now your handicap could travel to a variety of countries. And those courses um, are in the, in outside the United States have course ratings and slopes like they do here in the, in the U S. Um, and then there's some other, um, small changes, playing conditions. So if you get a day, maybe where the weather's abnormal, but it's based on, it's based on the amount of play that day. So just because you played in the rain doesn't mean you're going to get an abnormal playing condition. Um, because if everybody played to their capability and you were the only one that played way over, yours is it's not going to adjust now if it's vice versa then it takes that into consideration um but i'm just trying to make uh, you know i think the goal is with the system is just trying to make things simpler make it easier instead of 10 scores it's eight scores now uh, there's a hard cap and soft cap so people can't see their handicap index uh rise as as they some of them probably would like to around member guest time um, so it caps them at a certain number based on based on whatever their average or their lowest index for the 12 months was. Um, but I think they're all good changes. I think they're good changes for the club. There used to be uh, um, adjustments if you play different tees. Now your index is just based off of the tee that you're playing. Doesn't matter what the other others are doing. We have one final question for you, Todd. Sure. What's your skyline order? my skyline order um well i would uh i would probably get two cheese conies with everything uh light on the chili and then uh, a four-way you don't like that bun soggy do you i do not i, I do <laughs> not like soggy buns <laughs> that's a very respectable answer compared to one of our latest uh responses yeah, your other Fairfield grad. We had a Fairfield Eric Hensler. I'm not sure if you're familiar. He's a he's a club fitter at uh, Miles of Golf, and uh, he played at Fairfield. I think he graduated somewhere in 2012, somewhere in there. But uh, he orders five hot dogs plain from Skyline. No chili, no cheese, just five hot dogs mm. plain, and a habanero cheese. Oh yeah, and a and and the habanero cheese. Yeah. You know. Interesting. <laughs> but, very uh, nice of you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, Todd, for coming on. Um, if anyone does want to learn more about the GCGA, absolutely visit gcga.org. Their website is, is very easy to navigate. You can learn everything you need to know. Um, and we look forward or hoping uh, to speak to you uh, more in the future, Todd. And hopefully Phil and I will maybe play in a few events this year. We'll see. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, guys.
Hey everyone, Tom here. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Second Shot All-American Golf Podcast. Please don't forget to like our Facebook page as well as follow us on Instagram at SSAA Golf Pod. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach us at secondshotallamericanpod at gmail.com. And if you could, just please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you.